0: This week on Startup Security Weekly, co-founder and Chief Ops Officer at Efflux Systems, Adam Bixler, joins us for our interview segment. In our security startup news for the week, the three most abstract tips to help your startup succeed... The five best presentation apps, even, for your startup needs. I want to talk about some non-expensive ways to make your small business feel big. And I've got some funding updates from some security companies. And a gifty little company that provides us humor uh, got some funding as well. So we'll talk about all that and more on this week's show. This is a Security Weekly production. Welcome everyone to Startup Security Weekly. This is episode 15 for November 4th, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Asidorian, the founder and CEO of Security Weekly and the CEO of Offensive Countermeasures, broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island and on the lines uh, via Skype, the beach bum himself and security (laughs) catalyst, Mr. Michael Santarcangelo. Welcome, Michael. Hey, man. Hey, everybody. Still wearing shorts. (laughs) It's awesome. Good for yes. you. Uh, I'm very I'm,
1: excited about that.
0: I'm actually wearing pants, so just in case everyone's wondering, what's underneath the desk here? I'm wearing pants. <laughs> Not that I think really anyone was wondering. I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs>
1: welcome to the show. How do we open that up? That's
0: great. good. I don't know where that came from. Um, but I, well, let's jump right into it, Michael. Um, we get our, our guest on the line. Let's not keep our live audience or um, Mr. Adam Bixler waiting. Who is the co-founder and chief ops officer at Eflux Systems? Did
2: I say that correctly? Eflux. You did. Okay. That is uh, that's the actual pronunciation. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it.
0: It's interesting, and this is on the top of my brain, uh, as Michael was talking, and I wanted to save it for the show because we were talking about how you became the chief ops officer and how you assign roles at the startup. And it's kind of interesting with, with John and myself, you would think that like we, John, I would come to the table and be like, I want to be CEO and I want to be CTO. It was a complete opposite. I'm like, dude, you're CTO. He's like, dude, you're CEO. I'm like, good, let's go. Okay, you got back to work. <laughs> that was pretty much the entire conversation. We assigned each other roles and we were off to the races. So how, how did that kind of play out for you uh, in, in this uh, business that you have in your previous startup
2: as well? Sure. So I realized that uh, uh, a lot of my previous work experience, I'd stepped away from coding. I uh, became more of uh, uh, an operational planner type, uh, so it, it, I knew I was not CTO material. Um, uh, really, where I've, where I've gravitated most in uh, in startup world is uh, is build, designing products, uh, designing workflows, designing ways to make things easier for people to use. Um, but in the early days of Efflux, uh, it was a two-person team, and somebody had to step up and do the fundraising, do the uh, investor relations, do the sales and marketing, so that's uh, uh, how we consolidated those roles underneath the uh, CEO. Awesome.
0: Michael, you just did you have a conversation with yourself about your role in your own one person organization? <laughs> I
1: did. It was great.
0: It was a. Uh...
1: Yeah, I walk around and talk to myself, It just <laughs> kind of proves I'm crazy. So it's good. No, it was. Did it was a tough, did get ten, it, Did it get
0: tense at it, moments? Was it well, tense?
1: Here's the, here's the thing that's interesting about it is I'm not the CEO of the company. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've learned to say, "Oh, I'm the founder of it," but I've always held myself out as, as the president of it. And and at some point when we grow, uh, there was a point where we had employees, and and there may come a point again where we do that. And it, I I don't have any interest in being the CEO or the COO. Um, I I I'll be a driving force behind it but kind of like Adam right there's pieces to this that I'm gonna be better at and that may not be those pieces
0: sorry my, my dogs in the studio I apologize anyway the, uh, Michael I'll let you uh, have known Adam for a while so I'll let you uh, continue Adam and on I with, go uh, with way questions. back
2: we're
1: not going to talk about that too much but here's the thing too that's great about Adam uh, on the show here is that I mean this is this is your second goal round so I'm kind of curious about a couple of things. I mean, I'd like to hear more about what you do. And uh, you can go either way you want with this uh, to start. You can tell us about the first one and how that led to the second one. Uh, or like I'm always curious, like, what's the problem that you solve with Efflux? And, and how did you guys come up with it? Like,
2: what started it? Sure. So actually, let's back up and walk to how we got to Flux today. Um, uh, my last company, Mortis Security. Uh, had gotten together with a friend. Um, We both had aspirations to do a security startup. Uh, Previously, I've done a lot of um, uh, consulting work, Uh, both government and private sector. uh, Had actually built a uh, software development team uh, for a uh, commercial consultancy. Uh, Realized that um, they had us focused on doing some services support work to justify building software, and that was not the right way to do it. So it always wanted to just jump out and do a straight-up software-based company. Uh, Morta, we um, uh, essentially, the formula is pretty easy. Uh, got together a bunch of friends uh, that had a good idea. Uh, we put it together into a patent. We put together an MVP. We took it out and uh, got some customer feedback and then went out fundraising. We realized that the, uh, the team that we needed to build to scale that up required some, uh, some larger investment than what we were willing to, uh, to contribute ourselves. Um, we were very successful. Uh, we took a round uh, from three uh, VCs out on the West Coast. Uh, but being a Maryland-based team, they wanted the team to move to the West Coast. Uh, at the time, I wasn't able to do that. I had some extended uh, military reserve commitments uh, that didn't allow me to. So that's when I stepped away, but started working on the concept for EFLUX. Um, what I found uh, in my initial work with Morta was that there's a lot of great detection technology in the market, but there's not a good way to help analysts understand what happens post-exploitation. To be able to stitch together an attacker's movements inside the network is a very manual and laborious process. So what we set out to do was collect the right data to answer the right questions at the right time and enable security operations personnel to be able to identify not just an attacker getting in, but what an attacker does after they're inside the network.
1: I like that. So that so that was that was born basically on the back of Morta, or was that a function of trying to solve another problem that you guys were bumping your heads into on a somewhat regular basis?
2: It was a problem set very different from what we were doing with Morta, um, but it was consistent feedback that we were receiving from mostly SOC analysts, like a Tier 2, Tier 3 type and, and look, this was born out of our own experiences as analysts ourselves. We used to have to collect data for you know one to two weeks, draw the picture on the whiteboard to explain to the manager why we had to take certain systems offline, why certain remediation actions need to be taken. That one to two weeks is just giving the attacker more time to be able to spread throughout the network. So your problem becomes infinitely harder if you can never get in front of what the attacker is doing. So we set out to be able to consolidate that data answer specific analytic questions, and enable an analyst to do something about it faster.
1: I like it. All right. So let's let's go back and build on the Morta experience. And I, I want to push on the, You talked about the patent. What's it like getting a patent? What, what, and let's do it differently. What did you think it would be like, and what was it actually mm-hmm. like?
2: Sure. So I think that um, uh, just to, to cover the patent process the way that uh, we did it at Morta and the way that we, uh, we've done it here at Flux. We did a provisional patent, which essentially lets you write anything that you want. Nobody's going to check it. Nobody cares. You have one year to be able to convert that into a full utility patent. That was our way of saying that we've researched the market and we've researched the technology that's currently available, and we've found a very unique positioning. That was a a very bold statement to make, uh, specifically to investors, that they're not just making an investment in some guys that are going to spin off into a services company. We have a true product plan that we're following. The nice part about building a provisional patent is that you have one year to improve upon it, but any claim that you make in the initial filing is protected until you, until you move on to the full uh, utility filing. So same thing we did with, uh, uh, with Flux. We started off with a, a provisional filing which was basically our specs for our our minimum viable product. Uh, We went out validated the MVP with uh, a few large institutions before actually building something that that we could deploy in private beta. Um, And now we've uh, recently filed our full utility patent uh, with the help of our lawyers.
0: So, Adam, is the provisional patent, is that when you can say patent pending?
2: Um, Yes, you can stretch it to say patent pending. Um, You are protected But if you do not file your utility patent off of that provisional filing within 365 days, you lose all claims and rights to uh, what you documented.
0: And is there like a rough cost that you can put around that, or is it so different for every situation that there's no real way to estimate a cost?
2: It it depends, right? It, It depends on your lawyers, how much work you do yourself. I mean... You can you can file it all by yourself mm-hmm. uh, with USPTO. Um, we opted to have uh, our lawyers involved mm-hmm. specifically because a patent is only as good as how well you defend it. Um, to be able to say that you're unique uh, is is very hard to prove, and having the legal counsel behind you to validate that is is extremely important. Yeah,
1: no, You I, just I, file I in the U.S. or did you file other places too?
2: We filed domestically. We looked at doing a, a a larger international filing, but the the cost benefit just wasn't there because we're specifically trying to penetrate the U.S. market first. Uh, we didn't see the the need to do that.
1: No, that makes sense. That's and that's the thing to point out too, Paul. Is that uh, every country you want to operate in? Some have some agreements, but the pat- patents is patents done right is a game of chess, mm-hmm. not checkers. And it's uh, the, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit to it, but that's just. I mean, thanks for that insight, Adam, because that's that's an area that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about, and and you guys have done that quite well. All right, I want to ask too, and it's more, how did you come up with the name? I mean, I love it. I had to go look it up, and it seems like it fits really well. Where did that come from? Um, uh,
2: thinking about it way too long and hard, trying to be clever. <laughs> and realizing that we had picked a name that's a little hard to pronounce was probably not the right thing to do. So Efflux uh, in microbiology is the way that uh, antibiotics remove infections from cells. And because we were an operational company, we, we took a whole microbiology theme in our original product lines. Um, we've since gotten away from that and, uh, and become a little more um, uh, generic in our branding um, but yeah, the idea that we're removing infections as quickly as possible was uh, was the theme that we were going for originally.
0: See, now I thought it had something to do with a flux capacitor. just my...
1: <laughs> It's just like that. No, it's just like that. It's just like that. <laughs> you get to go back to the future and solve the problems you wish that you had before. All right, so you're op- so you're operationally focused. I like that. Um, but you're still you're still a product. So t- tell me what that's like trying to get people to understand this because you're solving a problem I think most people have. So when you explain it to them, are they like, yes, come in, let's do this? Or talk to us about what it's like getting people to understand that you can actually help them solve the problem that they have.
2: Sure. So in designing what we do, uh, we built out a series of user personas. Um, Our target user is a Tier 2 analyst in in a security ops center. Um, we find that we get the greatest advocacy with the security architect, which is typically the most senior technical person in any enterprise uh, security organization. They're the ones that are looking specifically at the security ops tech stack. They're looking at the people and the processes that make security happen. What we're able to show value in is expediting the uh, investigation and remediation capabilities.
0: Adam, you seem uh, like you guys are very organized for a startup, <laughs> and you've already developed personas uh, and things like that. How many people are working for your the startup today, for Airflux?
2: Sure. We're up to eight people now. Um, what we found is that uh, uh, over 80% of our organization is engineering. Um, we, early on, made a, a, a conscious effort to bring user-centered design into everything that we do. We find that to be one of the large gaps in security today, is that there's great technical capabilities out there, but being able to translate that back to users, especially as we bring new analysts into the workforce as security is, uh, has hit a boom phase, um, being able to translate the value of these products back into uh, something that analysts can actually use uh, was something that we set out to do very early on with our product.
0: So um, let's talk a little bit about the, the organization because I know uh, being an eight-person startup, right? you've got a lot of things that you could be doing in terms of developing marketing plans and product management. How did you choose which ones to, to work on and
2: in which areas did you focus on and, and why? Really at this stage, the focus is all about customers and solving a specific problem for them. Being in a pre-release in private beta allows us to work very closely with just a handful of customers to ensure that we're meeting their needs and that we're teasing out additional functionality that we can put against our roadmap for uh, later inclusion. Um, Yeah, there's plenty of things that we could be doing. Um, We're very (laughs) focused on identifying our ideal customers and solving their very specific pain points. As we roll out into our general availability here in the next month, uh, we put a bit more emphasis uh, over the past sixty days on actually doing the you know the sales, the marketing, the the positioning, all of the the public facing stuff that that you have to do when you're no longer uh, in stealth mode.
0: Adam, so do you uh, how do you know which customer features and requests uh, are worth building into your product and which ones aren't or in the beginning, are you pretty much building in ninety nine percent of what your customers are telling
2: you? What we like to do is inventory all possible features and then prioritize based on the amount of people that are requesting it. Um, it's uh, There's some great product management, that's one of the things we've noticed, too. Um, being an East Coast startup, we have great access to engineering talent, um, but where the East Coast lacks is uh, really product management, sales, and marketing. Uh, this is why people look to the West Coast because they know that uh, – a company based there can hire the talent necessary to, you know, prioritize product features and push it out into sales mode. And I think that's why a lot of the money moves a lot faster there on the West coast. Um, what we've focused on very heavily is, is product management to be able to know that we're building the right thing that somebody's going to pay for to then be able to backstop that with the full sales and marketing plan.
0: So do you have a full-time product manager or does that fall into one
2: of the founders roles? So I think, yeah, you guys are asking about what Chief Ops Officer means. It's, mm. um, uh, we used it more as a catch-all for um, uh, combining um, customer success with product management because there is a lot of overlap there. Uh, I do a lot of my time uh, with customer outreach, uh, identifying what's working for them with our product and what they would like to see included next.
0: What are some of the specific challenges to being a
2: security startup, Adam? Well, we're very cautious uh, with our technology that, um, you know, we're not going to take something in half-baked. Really, within security, you get one chance with a SOC, especially on the ops side. You can't come in with technology that's not at least functional, um, because you're typically not going to get another look. The security landscape is so crowded right now that, you know, there's 20, 30, 50 different vendors that are, that are banging down the, uh, the sock manager's door. Uh, to be able to get looked at is, um, um, is your one chance, typically, uh, unless you have some other type of um, uh, momentum behind you, something else carrying you in. So our focus has really been on ensuring that uh, once we take tech somewhere, uh, once we say that we have a feature, once we say we're going to be able to do something, that we can actually execute on that.
1: Are you guys on-premise or are you in the cloud, some hybrid between the two? And, and what was that decision process like?
2: You know, it's funny. When we started, uh, we did a lot of customer survey to determine should we be cloud or on-prem. Uh, we straddled the fence for uh, quite some time uh, because our initial requirements set mostly came from the uh, uh, financial sector. Uh, we were told that they would never put anything into the cloud. We then started getting momentum with some other um uh, more technology-focused organizations that uh, were cloud-first and had asked that we uh, primarily op- have our offering in the cloud for for what they need. Um, we've since gone into a, a, a full uh, cloud mindset. Um, uh, from our deployment model, uh, we do a, uh, a software-based sensor uh, that hangs off of any uh, network device, uh, uh, span, tap, mirrored port, whatever it may be, Uh, We're crunching the content back down into flow, so there's no privacy concerns, which allows us to push that metadata back up to the cloud for further analysis. And then uh, we also believe in uh, uh, the security as an ecosystem and all the products playing nicely together. We have a fully open API, so you can either uh, consume our data through our UI, or if you have another platform that you enjoy, then uh, we can just push the JSON down into whatever that platform may be one
1: of the, I love that. And one of the things I love about cloud. So then do you have the ability to learn on aggregate? So as you're learning what's happening with one customer, does that end up benefiting other customers or is everybody walled off? You're using the cloud for the
2: elasticity of the space and the processing and and everything else. We've we've engineered ways to be able to <clears throat> excuse me, anonymously extract threat data from different customer instances and be able to share that across uh, uh, all of our uh, customers. So there's definitely value in being in the cloud. Uh, I would caution that there are right ways to do it and not right ways to do it. Uh, We've seen both styles executed, but being a security company ourselves, we're extremely cautious about anonymizing uh, all customer data should we try to glean any type of insights off of it.
0: So you're a, a cloud-hosted solution, Adam. So you're incurring, Flux is incurring all of the charges in the cloud and then basically marking up that back to the customer. Is that correct? Exactly.
2: Exactly. And then we use a series of different uh, providers on the back end. Um, uh, we find that different cloud providers do different things well. So we're able to, um, to spread that, um, uh, to, to optimize the right processes at the right place. I think one of the other things that we put into the engineering side is, you know, we're, we're a full microservices, uh, architecture, so we can spin up, uh, different services in different places as needed, uh, to be as efficient as possible for our customers.
0: So do you span outside of Amazon's cloud? We do. So is it Rackspace or, uh, Azure?
2: Um, you know, what's really nice is, um, uh, being a seed stage startup, uh, um, we have access to a lot of the different startup programs. Mm-hmm. So we're continually evaluating all of the different platforms to see which ones meet our needs for the specific workloads we're trying to mm-hmm. offload.
0: And I'm sure that helps control costs, uh, because what? It, how, how do you control your costs in the cloud?
2: We looked at the cost-benefit analysis of having to deploy hardware. Um, some of the other startups we work with, uh, they'll incur... Uh, a straight up $17,000, uh, no guaranteed pilot uh, to go run on site somewhere for 30 days. So they're shipping the server, they're shipping the uh, the equipment, they're putting somebody on site to do the installation. They are negotiating back with the enterprise for power, space and cooling mm-hmm. um, just to get in the door. It just it it doesn't make sense. What we're focused on is analytics. We're a software company, and we do analytics. So it doesn't matter to us where we run. We've just found that cloud is extremely more efficient for what we do. Uh,
0: do you find it's it's challenging with uh, having a cloud-only model? Does that limit your potential customer base? Uh, and do you do anything to kind of convert those people that are like, no, we have to have it on-premise and try and convert them in the cloud? Or do you just skip over them and just specifically target those who are all in with cloud?
2: For our stage, we focus on cloud only. Um, Now, obviously, uh, if there's a large enough customer that requires something on-prem, we can do that, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not something that we wanna spend the DevOps cycles on to to do unless it was a a very large paying customer at this stage.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's a sound uh, approach. Michael, more questions for Adam?
1: Yeah, I do. So, well, I'm just kind of curious because you were able to take more to a Series A round. Um, and there's I think there's some stuff in there that's probably worth exploring. But what I'm curious about is how much of that process with the first company and the success of that have you folded into this? Like, does this time around feel better? Are you more confident with it? Have you applied some of those lessons learned or are you finding second time around, nope, it's a totally different experience?
2: Uh it's every time is different. Um what I've what I found is that second time's a little bit easier just because you build the connections off the first one and you've built enough credibility to get um uh to get noticed mostly by the investment community. Um the really the relationships are what make this uh uh so important. So being able to work with other companies that we've worked with in the past uh has definitely made it a little bit easier. Now I'll say some of the challenges. Uh, in doing uh, uh, this latest startup, um, uh, you know we we set out to do a couple things a little bit differently. Um, uh, obviously, uh, after I left Morta, uh, they were acquired by Palo Alto Networks um, uh, and stayed in stealth mode the entire time. Uh, with Efflux, we've decided that we're building this out into a business. We're uh, uh, intent on building a, a strong customer list and solving specific problems uh, beyond just the piloting customers we're working with today. So bringing in the, the sales, the marketing, the you know all the things that make a business a business has uh, been a, a great experience to, to go through this time around.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool stuff. So somebody sitting right now listening saying, I got an idea. What, what would you tell them when somebody comes to you and says, all right, Adam, this, you've been through two startups, what should I do? What would you tell them?
2: If you don't have customer validation, um, I would caution anyone to to not uh, start. The, um, uh, we joke, we're here in the, the what they're now calling the, uh, the cyber corridor, uh, the Washington, D.C., Baltimore uh, corridor. There are a lot of uh, security-based startups that are happening here. Um, most of them are, um, very technical founders, uh, typically with a services background, um, that have a great idea and they, they really truly do come out with some, uh, some great ideas having worked with, uh, government customers in the past, but they don't have the uh, connection back to, uh, commercial security needs. Um, so in trying to pivot from doing, um, government-type work into filling a, a commercial need without uh, that validation that the idea that you have is something that somebody will eventually pay for. Uh, I just see it as a, a really uh, long uphill battle.
0: Awesome. Um, Michael, is there more questions you have for Adam, or I know we're getting close to uh, midway point here.
1: No, this is good. I mean, we, we've we covered patents. We've covered Stealth versus not stealth. We've covered cloud. I mean, this this is anybody listening at home right now trying to figure it out is good. And then I think anybody who's sitting in a sock right now, they might not be watching us live. But when, when they pick it up, mm. they, they now know that there's somebody that,
2: that can help them. I think it's good.
0: Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for appearing on Startup Security Weekly. Best of luck uh, in your startup.
2: Hey, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike.